Well, joining us for the final uh, half-season review is uh, media pundit, former player and player development uh, leader for the uh, National League, Gary Harris. Gary, it's, uh, Christmas is almost upon it. Uh, all ready for the festivities? I am, yeah. Always a nice time of year. Um, always a time of year to look forward to, I think, for sport, football in particular. Hopefully this this year's fixtures won't be too damaged by what's going on currently with COVID. But yeah, I'm ready for it. Yeah, and any recollections as a player from your time for the time of year? Well, I think it was just the time of year. I mean, I remember when I first started playing, we used to play on Boxing Day and then we used to play the day after. Yeah. We used to play on consecutive days, so you'd sort of have a home game at Boxing Day, and then, you you know, you'd be trying to recover for that and you'd be in the bath and the manager would be shouting, quick, quick, you've got to get on the bus, we've got Grimsby away tomorrow, so you had to sort of <laughs> put everything in your bag, get on the bus and, and go play two days, uh, two games in two days, which is unheard of now. Um, obviously, you know, the time of year, Christmas Day, getting up on Christmas Day and, and having to go in training at various times. Some managers prefer to do it early in the morning. Some managers wanted you to have your, your Christmas dinner and then go in and train. Of course, you're full of turkey and Christmas. <laughs> Trying to run around the football pitch and that wasn't um, a good situation, I can tell you. Um, many New Year's, I particularly remember playing for, for Bristol City, actually. I think we had Hull City away on New Year's Day. And we set off for Hull. And uh, I think Joe Jordan was the manager. John Gorman was the assistant manager. And there was three feet of snow in Bristol when we left for Hull. And we're, we're all sat on the bus going... You know, why why we're travelling up the hull? There's no way the game's going to be on. And John Gorman was saying, don't worry, lads. The game's definitely on. The game's definitely on. Anyway, we got up the hull in the middle of this snowstorm. And I think we spent the evening outside having snowball fights with the evening uh, with the locals. Woke up in the morning, nine o'clock, of course. Get your breakfast, get back on the bus. The game's off for going back to Bristol. <laughs> Everybody was saying, well, what a wasted journey. But I think... You know, they were quite clever as well. They wanted to make sure that um, they kept an eye on us and we weren't sort of back in Bristol having the time of our lives. Yeah, I bet you did, belatedly. And with Bristol City at the moment and COVID, I mean, we all hope the fixtures are going to be on because it's an interesting city and an interesting period for City coming up. If my memory serves me correctly, it's Luton away, QPR home, Millwall at home, and then Fulham away before we play them uh, in the Cup. I mean... Bearing in mind, and we'll talk about transfer window activity, possibilities of or distinct lack of coming up. But do you think if you're the manager and you think, I want to strengthen my team, are you sort of inwardly hoping maybe that we do get a count, we do get a COVID outbreak and the certainly 26th and the 30th, those two games are, are off? Or do you do you want to no. play games? No, I'm not, no. Why? Why do we need the um Hope that games or footballers want to play football. Fix your list at the start of the season. Managers and coaches prepare to play when the games are supposed to be played. And if you know you lose one or two games now, you've only got to squeeze them in somewhere else down the line. We could have bad weather in January or February, and then you know there's, there's mayhem with the fixtures. Yeah, fixture congestion. Ah, I think all all the footballers will be a frustration. They've, they've had to, of course, play a year without any spectators in the ground. And, and that was a really terrible time for me going and even watching those games. But yeah. uh, no, I think you, you want to play, you want to play over the festive period. There's normally a good feeling. I don't know how it's going to affect the atmosphere on the terraces, but 
the Christmas games, Boxing Day and New Year's Day, they were all the best games to play, and other than the Derby games, you know, big crowds, um, everybody come to have a good day out, and, and the players really look forward to, you know, the, the quick turnaround between games and, and having the time to play two or three times in a week, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's that side of it as well. But again, if we relate it back to City, if you've got injuries, yeah, I'm sure that football over your career, there's been an odd Saturday in October where it's 50-50 whether the match is going ahead. But I mean, if you look at City's injuries at the moment, there's two key players that certainly don't look like they're going to feature over Christmas and New Year. And that would be Nathan Baker and... Joe Williams, you know, matches. I know you've made totally valid points about fixture congestion, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, wanting to play because Christmas, New Year are great games over, over time. But those two players are quite integral to the health and well-being of Bristol City, aren't they? Just those two. Uh, well, David, let, let's be honest. Joe Williams is a fantastic player or, you know, has got fantastic potential, but... How's he ever been integral to, to Bristol City? He's, he's barely appeared. You know, he's, this lad's had terrible, terrible injury problems. He's missed a whole season. He's come back and, um, you know, he's picked up two or three injuries in the meantime. So they've coped for long periods without him. Um, mm. Nathan Baker, again, horrific, you know, bad luck with injuries and having witnessed the last couple, you know, was both them lads a speed of recovery. I'd love to see them fit and available week in, week out. But if you're a football manager, you know, it's part and parcel. That's why you have a squad. It's opportunity yeah. for other players to come in and state a claim. It's opportunity maybe for, for young players to get promoted in the first team. Um, so, you know, there's lots of different things going on there in, in the mix behind the scenes. Goodness me. Think back to, to when I started playing, I'm sure it was the same at Bristol City and, and definitely at Sunderland. I've got I've got squad photos at the start of the season and it's got 16 players in. Yeah. The squad. You know, you'd, you'd have 11 players. Um, initially, when I started, you'd have one sub and then someone decided that it was good if you had a little bit of company on the bench and there was two subs. But you got through. You know, I, I used to play... You'd play every game in a the season. There was a couple of times I played every minute of every game in a season. You had yeah. injuries, you got through, you still trained. And now you've got these large squads, you've got sports science, you've got everything going on, you've got rest days, recovery days. You know, you've just got to get on with it. It's, you, you can't be thinking about it's a good situation to, um, to have games cancelled so that all your squad can get rested. Okay, no, that's 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 a fair, that's a hundred percent fair counter argument. Let's look at how the city squad started at the beginning of the season, and we finished badly. I mean, here we are now at the halfway point. Back in August, looking forward in your mind, are you, are we there or thereabouts in terms of what you expected us to be? Because it's Nigel inherited a a bad situation but you know where are we in where you expected us to be you inherited a bad situation and the bad situation was the number of injuries in the squad and and that sort of it's been swept under the carpet nobody knows what was going on it's in the past lots of young players got promoted in the first team which I thought was good because they got early experience and then heading in towards the beginning of this season you know you look at the expectancy of the fans, I was, I was surprised. 
and you hear people talking about if we can just stay up this season. And I think that, you know, I, I always think, I look at the progress off the pitch and I say, I look at Ashton Gate, you know, the, the progress that's been made there with the development of the stadium, fantastic stadium. I look at the training ground, unbelievable facility, you know, Premier League facility. And I think if you've got that training ground and you've got that stadium, why should your expectations be only to stay in the championship? It's got to be a progressive club. I thought that we're always working to a plan. When when Mark Ashton was here and Lee Johnson, you hear there's a three or a four year plan. Where do these plans start and where do they end? Because it just seemed to roll in, in the, into the next sort of manager or the next situation. And there's got to, should be continuous progress. Bristol City have been a club that have been in around the top six for the last three or four seasons. Um, yeah, this season, maybe a little bit less investment in the squad. Lost some some really crucial players, I thought, years you leaving for nothing. Um, one or two contract situations that, that weren't really sorted out. So maybe everyone's happy to... to I mean, it's interesting. I, I've got to agree with you there uh, that the expectation of let's stay up. I mean... That's pretty much a zero expectation when you look at the ground and everything like that. And you've echoed what certainly Richard Latham said um, the other day. I mean, over the last four years, I mean, it's four years ago this week, the famous Man United win, beating Nottingham Forest on Boxing Day. And then a lot of people would say the pivotal point was losing at home to Wolves. You can't really pin it on one match. And ever since then, it... You know, the home form has been appalling. It's been compensated by extra good away form. And I said to Richard, if the home form, if the away form had been at home, I don't think the level of dissatisfaction and disillusionment would be quite so high because most of City's good performances have been away from Ashton Gate. Where did it all go wrong, do you think? Because, I mean, neither Mark Ashton nor Lee Johnson are there now and you know, Richard said we let our best players go and didn't replace them. Well, Flint, Brian, and uh, Bobby Reed wanted to go. Um, Flint was replaced with uh, Webster, and then Richard said Webster and Lloyd both went. Richard Latham also said we didn't do enough to make Flint, Brian, and Reed stay. You can't keep players you want to better themselves. So, if you look back over the four years, what do you subscribe to that? The good players have gone and therefore we are where we are because of that? Or is it different? Is it more deep-rooted than that? It's a difficult question, really. I think it's more deep-rooted. I just think it's certain situations. Um, you know, they were in a fantastic situation probably two seasons ago, mm. the top six, and, and, and they just blew it. And the season had to come back when COVID struck. What an unbelievable position they were in, if I recall, maybe just outside the top six or in the top six, one or two games in hand, and they come back and, and the form was dreadful. They, weren't. they lost four in a row, didn't they? That yeah, was other teams were looked better prepared. I think that was that was the golden opportunity to at least, you know, get a shot at the playoffs, and it was missed. You know, lots of things, too much, I think, too much focus off the pitch. All the... Every time there's a crisis, you know, you've, you've got to wait for a crisis before you hear um, sometimes from, from, from certain people at Ashton Gate. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, you know, you've, you've got to keep in touch with the fans, sagas, Liam Walsh contract, you know. 
all right, he, he left, but they paid a million pounds for Liam Walsh. He never got anything back. They paid millions for Jesus. They never got anything back. You've, if you're buying and selling, and we can argue about Bobby Reid and Joe Bryan who come through the academy system, we've got millions of pounds for them. And, and there's a time to sell, um, to cash in on your assets. But there's also a time to invest as well. So lots of different scenarios. Uh, the, the person I felt for a lot was was Dean Holden. I've, you know, he got off to a terrific start. Yes, he did. Games, it should have been five at Barnsley, 2-2, two, two, last-minute penalty. And then for whatever reason, you know, players were dropping like flies with injuries. And um, he didn't get a lot of time. Um, no, no fans in the ground, no support from the terraces. And sort of disappeared out of sight without trace, really. And then Mike mm-hmm. come in. The results didn't get any better. Um, and, and he blooded a lot of youngsters, like we've said. But here we are on this present moment, sort of a couple of weeks ago, a little bit concerned about um, the position in the table. Some good form. Yeah, we, we put we put the, we got Aston rid of the game. monkey on the back of the home form, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. And hopefully, the turn of the A, you, you can look... You know, we're closer to the top six now than we are at the bottom three, which is positive. But you want to see progress. You know, I, I think I've been down here a long time. I travel around the country. People come to the stadium. People come to the city. Look at some of the teams that have been in the Premier League and, you know, Blackpool, Burnley, Bournemouth, Brentford. I put Bristol City on a par with any of them. And, and, and yeah, yeah. And Watford even. That one game yeah, against yeah. Solway, they've, they've been anywhere near. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, football is all about fine margins. And, you know, we've been accused, and I guess it's the way media is today. You know, you one defeat and it's a crisis. Whereas, you know, probably 15 years ago, it was three defeats and things started looking a bit bleak. And if you look at, if you look at the last six games, it's two wins, two draws, two defeats, which is mid-table-ish. But fine margins, if you just take two games, Blackpool at home and Forest at home, Five more points from those two if the games had gone our way. You sat there on 32 points. You're genuinely then looking at a drive for the playoffs in the second half of the season, aren't you? Yeah, you are. But you can never sort of add the points that you've dropped the tally, can you? It's all... No. It's, it's We're talking about games where we're throwing points away in, in the closing stages of the game. So that's all in the past. I look at January, I think, right, if, if everyone's settling for um, being mid-table, if everyone's happy that, that we can sort of stay clear of relegation this season, there's got to be a point at which things move forward. And, and if this season squad's mid-table, at what point is it going to start being improved? And, and the next point that it can be improved is in January. So you want to see how Nigel Pearson's going to develop and build his squad, what type of player is he going to bring in to ensure that Bristol City can improve and, and climb the table in the very least this season and then look forward to the next seasons where they can get back to being a team that's competing to be in the playoffs? Yeah. Do you think, though, that there's the finances there? Because, you know, it's not reported officially, but, you know, most people can do the maths that we're heading for a £35 million loss for the year to May. Um, and, you know... And, and going out and buying players that are better than what we've got, you know, and everybody says a centre forward, you know, and the Rotherham lad gets mentioned a lot of times. Is he really going to offer any more than Chris Martin other than give Chris Martin a rest? You know, so you're paying maybe 800 grand for a 30 year old, not proven at championship level and his wages, I don't know, 
eight grand, you know, you're talking a two million pound investment, another one who's got no sale value, you know, to go out and get players that are better than what we've got, you know, you're talking two million plus really, aren't you? Just in a, in a depressed market. Yeah. But two, I mean, two points. First of all, if you want to improve and, and like you've said, get players that are going to improve the squad, then you've got to spend the money. And then you've got to look at the recruitment or we trying to sign the right type of player at the right time. The clubs out there, Peterborough being one of them, Brentford another, that go and invest in young players. Peterborough for years always went and bought the best player in the conference and they had some success doing that. I'm thinking about back Georgia, people like that. Or a young striker where all of a sudden you think, oh, Peterborough spent a million quid or something, but then they always sell them for 10 million quid. So, um, yeah, you have, you have to look at that. Um, and what was the other point? Sorry, David. I'm- yeah, I was, just, I was just making the point there about, you know, the players to, to, to go out and get better players than what we've got. It doesn't... Yeah, the investment. We've got FFP. I mean, Richard, yeah. they've, you know, really sombre news about FFP. Never mind this season, but the next season, it gets even worse for us because the profit year drops off the three-year cycle, I think it is. You know, it's a really bad situation. And, you know, you mentioned Peterborough, they're down there struggling, but there are other clubs in the league without parachute payments, and I'll name the likes of Millwall and Luton, who are doing better than we are at the moment with limit, much more limited resources. You know, what's the, what, what is it that they do on half the attendances as well in both those cases? Yeah, what, Well, it's, it's recruitment, isn't it? It's, mm. it's recruitment and, and getting the, that type of player that can play week out, week in, week out in the championship. I mean, going on to finance, yeah, you have to stick within the rules. I accept that. Um, Steve Lansdowne, I think, has been a, a brilliant owner. Goodness knows how much money he's, he's invested or written off over the years. It'd be a sad day when he ever walks away. And sometimes we take that for granted. The, the only thing that always at the back of your mind, you think if, you know, if, if the amount of money that they spend over a number of years, it was ever possible to invest that. And it might not be now at one point in the past and say, let's invest this large sum of money. Let's really make an effort to get in the Premier League. And I'm sure that, you know, they'd reap the rewards. Do you think there's been a bit of a culture thing at Bristol City that we've always put in, I'll say over the Ashton Johnson period, we've gone for clubs in the bag. And and instead of going for three players, and I'm just picking random numbers here, instead of going for three players at 20 grand a week or 15 grand a week, we've ended up getting six players at seven and a half and haven't made the leap forward because we've had a, a wage cap there. And again, Steve's put a lot of money in, but some people have achieved a lot. Let's ignore infrastructure, which will not ignore it. Infrastructure is one thing. Steve's to be commended for that. Which the whole Bristol sport thing is great. But on football, he's been losing money hand over fists. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, on that investment in players that we've been maybe too judicious in sticking to a wage structure and we've not gone for it in one season. I think they've been judicious. I I think, you know, there's been some really strange signings over a period of time. Players where, you know, I'm thinking of Rodri, the goalkeeper, Brunt, um, people coming into the club. Lewis Donny, the loan signing, that was a waste of a wage, wasn't it? the, the, The loan signings at the end of one season 
horrific. Weren't even getting a place in the in the squad. And I'm hearing comments like, well, he's good in the dressing room. Well, you know, go and get a comedian or something. Give him a couple hundred. Well, you, I mean, case in point, bedroom, about strange signs, case in point there, yeah, within the current squad has to be Simpson, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, experience, but if, if you've got someone that's experienced and he can't even get in the match day squad, then then what's he doing? I mean, I was down there on Saturday, Casey Palmer, Danny Simpson come out at, at one o'clock to do their work, you know, before anybody else was was entering the field to, to do a proper warm-up. And yeah, there's the recruitment is 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 a process. Everybody's getting better at it. I suppose you have to look at what the process is. Yeah. I mean, do you think I think I think everybody's in agreement that with Dave Rennie in the back room now, City have got the right man in post there. Do you think Nigel would like to have, if not Steve Walsh, a proper recruitment? Uh, I mean, Richard Latham yesterday was saying, you know, even Rob Newman now, he's made a career out of being a player scout going for Man City now under David Moyes at West Ham. Do we need a director of recruitment that's known in the game? That Because Nigel doesn't like dealing with agents, so we're told, and Steve Lansdowne doesn't either. Mark Ashton, he seemed to love all that side of agents and wheeling and dealing. But do you think we do need a, a, a recruitment so we don't miss out on some of the talent at lower level, maybe? Well, I've worked in recruitment. I've been ahead of recruitment myself, so I know how it works. And, and I don't know what the exact system is at Bristol City. It's always a bit of a mystery. You have analysts. But I think you need foot soldiers as well. You have to have people on the ground. You know, have to have people going to games and not just watching the yeah. listening to the other people and hearing little sort of have you seen this player playing for this and have it and, and word spreads um you know you have to have an ongoing process it doesn't just start and finish the second that a manager leaves or the second that a chief executive leaves there should be a database there should be targets um you know there should be a philosophy about recruitment and there may well be does he need someone like like Steve Walsh or I don't know if he's available. I don't know if Nigel wants him. Rob Newman, yeah, he's done well um, in scouting and recruitment. Would he leave West Ham to come to Bristol City? Who knows? Well, he's only just, he's only just joined. I guess in the old days, as you say, you used to watch a player because City years and years ago had Jock Ray was like the, the, the only man in the back room on that. But even... You know, in my time, which is just before you joined as, as, as well, but Terry Cooper and Clive Middlemass stayed here about a player and they go and watch him play on a dark, cold night up at Barnsley or something like that. That's the way to do it. And then look him in the eye in the corridor, maybe after the game. And is he right? You know, because you can usually tell, you know, you talk about statistics, but then it's an, it's an off-used term. We heard it too many times, actually, the DNA of a player. You've got to have a certain mindset. And I bet in all the clubs that you played for, the successful sides that you were in, there was a there was a spirit or there was something about it that, you know, we don't appear to have any real leaders on the pitch at the moment, do we? And even the one who was didn't want it last season. Yeah. And that's why we got a goalkeeper as captain. You know, how how important is it to get players that fit the, the culture of the club? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, you've got to do your homework. Um, and again, if you can go and watch players, and I've got no doubt in my mind that there's been hundreds of players signed just by somebody watching a video and, the, and they've never even seen 
the player player wants in the in the flesh. Yeah, I mean, again, you, you know, you make your phone calls, you, you you ring around, you ring managers, coaches, players, you ask about the player, and sometimes it's just how you fit in. When I when I come down here from Sunderland to to Bristol City, it was it was a big move because it was the other end of the country for me. I'd never been out the northeast, but I love Bristol. Um, people always used to say to me that that Bristolians weren't. The friend, I never found that. I've always really got on well with the locals. Um, got some um, great friends down here now, and, and and family. My two sons are Bristolians, and and love the area. And it's sometimes it's just about people taking to the area. And you think now, it's not just moving from one part of the country to the other. It's it's people coming from abroad to fit in. Jeju coming and was living in around Bristol. You've got young Masengo. Goodness me, a teenager coming across from France yeah. and having to move um, countries and speak a different language. So sometimes it's just how you adapt. Yeah, yeah. Looking at the uh, side, let's look forward to the second half of the season. And again, if we look at the players that we've got, do you think Nigel knows his best lineup? Yeah. And sometimes you have to make do with the tools that you've got or you change the system to suit. Are you surprised at some of the lineups that he's put out there? Not least, let's look at Saturday against Huddersfield when he played, never mind uh, Alex Scott playing as a right wing back, but Eamon Benarus as a left wing back when you had De Silva and Pring both available select for a selection and not starting. Well, first of all, it's, um, I think I said at the end of the game, it would not be wise after the event. Of done this, you should have done that. You don't, you don't have phone-ins at the start of the game where everybody comes on and tells you what the team should be, but obviously they come on at the end of the game when, when you don't get the result. I was surprised. One, I think Cam Pring has been excellent whenever he's played. He's given everything. I think that position suits him. Left wing-back, even left side centre-half. And when he come on against Huddersfield... On Saturday, I thought it was brilliant. Um, very brave attacking. So do you know playing at home? Do you like that? And if you played five defenders, you open yourself up to criticism then because everyone would say, "Well, that's a defensive team, and we're playing at home." I think if if people were coming to watch Alex Scott um, and him and Benarus from the England setup, for which they're both involved, and and they rocked up and seen them both playing at as wing-backs, they would have been very, very surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly not less with Alex Scott. He's played there. Listen, he's, he's doing a fine job there, but is that his best position? I don't no. Think there was an incident in the first half and he's dribbling in his own penalty area and he got a foul in his own penalty box. And I thought it was really ironic because what you want is him dribbling in the opposition's penalty box. Yep. Penalty. Eamon, again, um, attacking player, Best suited, I think, off a striker behind the strikers. Left wing backs alien to him. The distances he's got to cover to try and get forward, you know, 50, 60 yards up and down. He's not used to doing that. When you play in the middle of the pitch, you can play in fits and starts. You can get a breather. When you're a defender, you're always in the game playing that position because you're trying to support the attacking players. And then you're also trying to make recovery runs. So what I might say is that he might have found his best formation or a formation that he's more comfortable with now. 
um, but not necessarily the right personnel playing in the right positions at the moment. Mm, that's difficult. I mean, again, look at Chris Martin. I mean, he's got, what, four goals, I think, this season. He's played all bar about 20 minutes of the whole season. Again, against Huddersfield, you had Tommy Conway back on the bench, yeah? It wouldn't have done any harm to give Tommy a run out for the last 15 minutes of the game, would it, really? Because it was 3-1 then. I know we got the goal, but that was in time added on. You know, if it had been 3-2, you'd stick with what you've got if it was 15 minutes to go. But, you know, giving Tommy a run out would have given a bit more energy up front. Yeah, maybe. For me, there was a time um, a couple of weeks ago, three games, four games in quick succession when we had the midweek game against Stoke, I think. And at that time, I think he was playing Martin and Vyman up front and he had Semenyo and Wells on the bench. And I felt that was the week where in one of the games he could have easily just swapped the front two. And I mean, that's a bit contentious because I think if I was picking a team, I'd always have Vyman in the team because of his, his energy. But yeah, Wells hasn't really featured as much as he would have wanted to. Again, big money signing. Tommy Conway's just coming back from injury. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's nice to have them options. Maybe that's something that maybe looked at um, in January. And again, every January, every January, for goodness knows how many years it is we need a striker. Yeah. But if you look at it, if you look at the personnel that we've got, okay, Louis Britton went out on loan because he wasn't deemed fit enough. But if you look at the personnel that we've got, Vyman, Martin, Wells and Semenyo, right? Bell. Yeah, that's, you know, there's a lot of clubs that as all of those would be, not say wanted by other clubs in the division, but you know, you've got a little bit of everything there and we've not shown any variability. Nigel is a defender. And I hear what you say about playing five defenders at home. But you could have played on Saturday, even allowing for injuries. You could have gone four-five-one, yeah, with you know Callas, Viner, Callas, Atkinson, and Pring. That's your back four. Then you can bring Andy Viman into midfield. You can boost the midfield. You could have Semenyo up front by himself. Now he's not a player that's going to get the flick-ons. And when I've put that to other people, they say, "Oh, but Nigel likes to knock the ball up to the big man." Chris Martin isn't a big man. He's only about five foot nine, five foot ten. Yeah, but he is—he is a target. He is a—is he a target? He is a target player, and I don't mean like um, six foot six, just hit it on his head, Mick Harford, like like they used to when he, he batted the centre half. But he, he's a hold up player. Mm. I think that's why he's in the team. Although Semenyo, funnily enough, on Saturday was a player that took the ball in the feet more often than not, but. Going back to what you said, it's just about um, trying to find the right formula. Chris Martin's played lots and lots of, of, of football, started lots of games. Maybe it's just mix it up at times and, and Christmas and New Year might be that period where Chris Martin all of a sudden might have a, a greater impact coming on for, for 20 minutes or so at the end of the game and, and give the other lads just a, an opportunity to see if they're, they're missing out on anything. Do you think we are a long ball team and we're not comfortable in possession and that is part of the problem yeah that's why Dan Bentley kicks it long we, we give we give so many unforced errors when the goalkeeper's got it it's just sort of bang straight down and invariably it comes straight back you know and Nigel said he wanted to play 
fast-flowing front foot football, which you can sort of do with the runners like Vyman, Semenyo, Tommy Conway. You know, we haven't spoken about Callum O'Dowda, you know, who's so sparkling uh, glimpses of what he can do. But we've been waiting for a season. This is the sixth season that Callum has been here. And for a variety of reasons, not least injury and perhaps form, he's not had a breakthrough season yet. Is Do you think Nigel... Well, I think he's got the players that he could play more along the ground. What What do you think? You know, long ball or or, or not? I, I don't know, is the honest answer. But, <laughs> well, I don't. Because, yeah. um, something stuck in my mind. I, I was driving home, listening to Nigel's interview on Saturday, and he made reference to um, City's inability to play out from the back, which sort of I was a little bit startled by because that's something that comes from the training field. That's something that's ingrained in the players. That's something that you practice day in, day out. Um, and that goes back to philosophy. What is the style of play? And you've got to be brave, which you which alluded to, but you have to have different scenarios. If, if the opposition are pressing you, you have to find another solution. You know, I mean, take it to the extreme levels, watching Manchester City play five-a-side in their own six-yard box. You're never going to see that at Ashton Gate. But if just one pass is blocked off, there has to be a movement or an interchange of positions to try and find another way of playing out from the back, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. the times to go along, the times to try and close the game out, which they haven't really done earlier in the season... Um, but, you know, that is something that it, you can't just tell players to play out from the back. I think you have to show them. And I, I mean, I spent a bit of time pre-season doing a couple of pre-season training camps with, with Sheffield Wednesday and Celtic, watching their different training methods. And they both practised it. And they both had players that were happy to take the ball. And, you know, Sheffield Wednesday obviously got Barry Bannon, who was an absolute delight to watch yeah. playing and and training in actual fact and the way he conducted himself as a as a footballer. But Celtic were the same, you know, lots of movement. Left wing back wouldn't get it. He'd go into midfield. The left wing would drop into the left back position. And it, again, like I said, it's something that you have to work at and not just say to Dan Bentley, put the ball down and pass it to Thomas Callas because he's standing 10 yards away. Yeah. Did you see the Derby game uh, the other week, which I know we won? Wayne Rooney's Derby. Yeah. Wayne Rooney's Derby. Yeah. <laughs> But, but he, he, I thought they were noticeable that the goalkeeper was just playing it short. They did, I know we beat them, but they did try and play football. They had, you know, they, they didn't create much, but at least Lots they of were. teams have seen Bournemouth did it, Huddersfield did it. Yeah. And the yeah. coach, they played out from the back and, and it's, it's mindset. And um, you've got to be brave and. Again, the players do have to take some responsibility. It's all right if you're that sort of deep lying midfielder and you know that the centre half's going to pass it into you and you're going to be someone breathing down the back of your neck trying to just nick it off your toe, then you know you've got to get yourself in the right position early in yeah. confidence to take the ball in that position. What do you think of Hannah Masengo? Now, you, you, I know you hear him come on the Radio Bristol quite a lot and he's a major contributor to the podcast. Ian, yeah, who comes on with Jeff. Um, Ian is always saying, Hannah Masengo, 70 appearances now, no goals, no assists. And I think Chris might have said, uh, Chris Honor might have said in the pod we did this week, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of running round, undoubted skill. But are we harnessing 
if, if you're Hano Masengo's dad and you look at him, he's had lots of game time at Bristol City, but are we getting the best out of him that he's capable of doing, which prompted us to pay four million, three million quid, whatever, three, two, two and a half years ago? Well, I've said the same as, as Chris and Ian. I have to say many times, um, doesn't play the last ball. He doesn't play that defence-splitting pass. He has got a little bit closer, you know, even recently in and around the edge of the box, just back in play up a couple of shots from range. If you're a midfielder, you know, what, what is your game? Are you a defensive midfield player that will get on the ball and, and start play from a deep position like Marlon Pack? But Marlon Pack would, would create something or he'd nick a goal every now and again. Or you're attacking midfielder, that's going to get five or six goals from midfield. And, and he's and he's not really, and, he, and he's young enough, and he has to define what he is himself as a player. And yes, he's got energy. I actually think his all-round game has improved a little because yeah. he had a spell out the team. Um, and he's probably baffled by that. Didn't, you know, wasn't selected, but he, he got his head down, he didn't sulk. And he come back into the team, and he looked stronger and as fit as he can be, mm. which is very very fit. And um, as far as being involved in the game, you know, he's always in and around the game. We can yeah. see, but you've got to, you've, you've, if he's going to be top level, top notch, I think you've got to have, you've got to have something else. He's got to have a bit more. I mean, he lost his uh, marker that first goal against Huddersfield. You know, the lad who went racing through. Masengo yeah, was in his slipstream. Yeah, wasn't I mean, he is young, and we'll, we'll keep saying he's young, but um, there's there's young in terms of of years, and there's young in terms of experience, and he's got lots of experience. Yeah. He's yeah. been chucked in at a very young age, and he and he's coped. He does his little bits of flashes, often in his own half. You know, the the, the little sort of step overs and that you want to see him doing higher up. I'd love to see him. If he can get one goal, I'd love to see what difference that would make to his game. Because it would yeah, give I, I, I agree with you. So again, step up, up the pitch further and see if you get one or two more. Recent weeks, Semenyo, recent weeks, Semenyo's starting to look a bit of a player, isn't he? He's got his shots away a bit more. Yeah. Do you think he's... Yeah, well, he, he does, Anton. I know. And he strikes a ball harder than anyone I've ever seen hit a ball. Mm. Frustratingly, for some reason, his strongest foot is right foot, but he hits it strong with all the shots up. He seems to be cutting off his right onto his left and taking the shots with his left foot. He's come back from injury, so you always have that little bit mm. um, extra when you come, freshness, which is shown. And more significantly, I think he's playing through the middle of the pitch, and I think that's where he's going to be most effective long-term. And um, again, just he'll know in the back of his mind, if, 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 if you're a number nine or if you like, or whatever you want to call yourself, if you're a striker, you've got to score goals. If you're, yeah. a, you're not scoring goals, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, you've got to have two strikers that between them are going to guarantee you 30 goals. You know, that could be 20 plus 10, but that's that's the recipe for success. And it's interesting, Andy Vyman, he has his critics, you know, and I've been amongst them, but you look at his stats this season, nine goals, four assists. It looks good on paper. Yeah, and as you say, He's always in your starting lineup, so let's 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 put you on the spot with that. You're the Nigel Pearson gets abducted by aliens on Christmas Day, and uh, 
and then uh, and then uh, Stephen, <laughs> and then Richard Gould phones you up and says, "Gary, um, look, you got to pick. You got to pick the side. You've got no Nathan Baker, and you've got no Joe Williams." And I take your point about Joe that we can't be dependent on him, but we've seen enough to know the few games that he has played, he's made a hell of a bloody difference, right? But we've right. So against Luton on Boxing Day, you've got. You've got a fully fit squad other than Baker and Williams. How would you line up? And I don't know whether you make that selection based on it's Luton. We know what the pitch is like at Kenilworth Road. It's one of those very compact. Small, tight, yeah. You got it. You got it. So how would you line up 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 there yourself? Well, small, tight. It's pretty simple, really, based on what we've seen in recent weeks. I go Bentley... Um, it would have to be Viner Callas, Atkinson playing away from home, Pring left wing back. We haven't got, sorry, I beg your pardon, Callum O'Dowder. We've seen Callum O'Dowder's. You put him as left wing back, yeah? Is, is Callum O'Dowder fit? You say? I think he probably would be, yeah. I'll, I'll give play you O'Dowder yeah. if he was fit. And I'll play Cam Pring left side centre half, Callas. Bainer, Scott, uh, Masengo, James, Feynman, Semenyo. And I've got Semenyo and Wells. So I'm just writing that down. Semenyo and Wells up front. So you give a lift. So you, you've got your back three. Viner, Callas, Atkinson. And then in the middle. So you've done that three, five, two. You've put Cam Pring in... Left side yeah. of the, the middle. You put him left side of the middle, basically. Yeah. So you've got, you've got, you've got the pace of O'Dowda and the power. No, I play. I would play if, if sorry, let's go back. If O'Dowda was fit, I play him at left wing back. Yeah. And then I'd put Campring as left side centre off. What and leave out Rob Atkinson? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's a big, uh, that's a big call. Because do you think? Well, not really. I think he's just, lost I'm a bit of on... Do you think? Because he. People said he came back from a recent illness uh, and what have you. Do you think he's lost a bit of confidence, do you think? Or No, it's not that. It's just no. based on what he'd done. I thought they improved on Saturday against Huddersfield. Okay, yeah. To reward players uh, on how they play. He made an impact. And I think pound for pound, he's, he's been as consistent as anybody all season, Campering. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree with that. So you've got a back three, Viner Callis, Pring. And your midfield, Scott, Masengo, James, O'Dowda. Who was the fifth one in there? Because I missed that. Who's the extra midfielder? So I've got Vyman behind. Um, Vyman. Vyman yeah. playing in behind. Yeah. So you've got... That looks a good side, actually, doesn't it? It's got mobility. Yeah, you haven't really got... You're not spoilt for choice. You know, that Alex Scott as a right wing back. I don't really want to pick him as a right wing back. No, but absolutely not. got... They haven't got anyone that, that can sort of, you know, uh, Tanner come in and done well. Then I thought he, he, he just lost a little bit of confidence, but he's a development player. Danny Simpson hasn't been anywhere involved. So why would you why would you throw him in? Um, so you, you, you haven't got loads and loads of choices. You know, the, the left side, goodness me, picking a team without Jada Silva, who was always one of Bristol City's most consistent and, and, and most talented players. In well, he's one of the most talented, but Chris said at the start of the season, he's a player that he wanted to see step up to the plate a bit because his career has been blighted by 
shin splint since he's been here, which is a nasty injury. But we've not seen enough of Jade Silva going on the marauding runs that we know he's capable of for a very long time. I'm looking at that side of yours. I sort of get that. And you're saying one of the most talented players we've got, you're playing him as a right wing back. But if you look at it, what you could do, you could have, um, you could play a four and you could have Viner, Callas, Atkinson, Pring. Yeah. And yeah. then in midfield, well, you could either drop then Odauda. That's right, because I bought Atkinson I, in. I just think the, the, the for me, whatever the personnel is, I think Bristol City squad and, and the way that they play, I'd always have the, the two strikers. You, yeah. you want to play with one. I'd always try and have three in midfield because teams in the championship can tear you apart. 3v2 in the middle of the pitch. I'd always try and solve that problem by having three midfielders. Yeah. The halves gives you a little bit of insurance and then it's what you get extra out of your wing-backs. Yeah. If they play two centre-forwards, you've got 3v2 centre-forwards, hopefully. Yeah. Play one centre-forward, sometimes that's a problem because it's three marking one and the other two don't know what to do. But it just gives you strength through the middle of the pitch. Luton's not a big pitch or a wide yeah. You know, the, the wingers just can get up and down. Maybe not as much responsibility getting back because the defenders can hopefully fill them, plug them gaps. Mm. Um, and again, not, not too many changes because there's not really um, much to pick from. No. And then when you look at the transfer window, then, so the transfer window opens, and let's say we go to loop, we get a draw, we have QPR at home, assuming these games go ahead, we get a win. And then uh, it's home, uh, what is it? It's at home against Fulham, isn't it? That's right. Sorry, home against Millwall. So we've got two home games back to back. Fulham's it's away in the league, it's home in the cup. Let's say we get seven, seven points in the next three games. This isn't impossible. Then the transfer window opens. Yeah, the transfer window opens. You know, and you've got, you've got Baker maybe to come back and Williams to come back. Unless you're going to go out and spend big, on paper, it starts to, you know, we look like we've got okay players, haven't we? So, yeah, we have. We have. Um, I mean, if Cardiff let Kiefer Moore go, that's not going to happen, but he would have been the ideal target man to go out and buy. You'd take all day long, wouldn't you? You know, again, going back to scouting and recruitment, I think he played for Dorchester and Torquay and Yeovil. You know, I wonder how. Where he was on the radar. Sorry, who was that? Kiefer Moore. Oh, Keith, yeah. Kiefer yeah. Moore, and talking about recruitment, and think that he played Rochester, Torquay, and, and Yeovil, and Forest Green. Yeah. Well, look and, at Ollie Watkins. Look at Watkins as well. Yeah. And you wonder at what point he was ever sort of on the radar of anyone at Bristol City. But that's all in the past. It's all. Of course, you got to you got to look forward. You got to. Of course, forward. you are. You're saying what happens if we get seven? What happens if we get none? It, it doesn't make any difference. The process should be the process. The players yeah. that are interested should be the players that they're interested in. Yeah. But there's, there's, you know, if there's someone that they're not interested in, that's not on a list anywhere, three weeks out, you shouldn't be signing them. Yeah. Someone that you've been watching for six months or 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right, because they have the stats now, which is the thing that they didn't have in the days that we were talking about earlier with Terry and Clive Middlemass going chasing round you have to do it on word and, and uh, 
and recommendation. What's your view on the loan market? Because it's been reported that Nigel doesn't like loans. And, you know, what are you going to get? You know, if you go out and you get a Premier League loan player, I mean, that went well with Ryan Kent, didn't it, three years ago, you know? Would you be, are you in favour of loan signings from a higher level or not really? It's not going to solve the the long term, or it's not going to be the answer long term, is yeah. it? Short term solution. So are you bringing in someone to get 50 points, guarantee you 50 points, if that's what the aim is? I don't think that should be the aim. Um, and then it's, it brings other problems with it because often loan players, I think they're an easy target. If they don't hit the ground running, yeah. often they're accused of that they don't didn't want to be here, they don't care. That's that's unfair a lot of the mm. time. They come in and do well and it's at the the sake of, of one of the young development players who all of a sudden isn't getting any experience, then that's counterproductive as well. So you know, if, if there was a, someone that was going to make a real, real impact for a, for a short period and and you know get you in the top half um, very, very quickly, and, and then you can sort of start planning for next season. Then yes, but otherwise, I can't really see the point. Short term, no. So not something you'd be looking to do yourself if you you know you no, you, no it just no, and, and and I don't know what what is going on now. It, it's Cause I'm hearing Premier League players talking about, sorry, managers, they're not going to sign players because of COVID. If players are coming in from elsewhere, is there a process? Do they have to isolate? Do they have to test? I, I, you know, what they're doing during the week? Are they going back to the, the horse club? And there's so many um, complications at the moment. It, it's very hard to, to understand what might happen. Yeah, no, no, that's very true. I suppose one of the upsides of this season is that youngsters like, Alex Scott and Ben Aroos have had a, 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 a have been blooded, and as long as we keep our championship status, which I think we should, then that does all go well. Going they might forward. go in January, David. Sorry, they could go in January. You mean they've been in the shop window, so somebody might? Be- they, they haven't just been. Listen, people, they haven't just been watching them this season. They've been watching them for seasons and seasons. Yeah. All about them. So that might be the big fight that's yeah. in January. Well, exactly. I mean, and if ten million pound for Alex Scott or ten million pound for Eamon Ben Roos, would they be tempted? Yeah. And would you say they were more saleable assets than um, um, Hano and Masengo, both of those, just on what we've seen so far? Um, I, I think Ben Roos and Scott would be of more value than than Masengo in my yeah. the younger. Um, more potential, if you like, although Masengo is still a young man. I mean, I, is Masengo going to play all his career in England? You know, mm. another country. Will there be teams, possibly France, Germany, where that type of player would do well? Who knows? I guess it, I guess with Hano, it depends on when his agent wants a paycheck or something like that. But uh, I mean, well, if you look- say that about everyone, you know, you, you've got <laughs> paid £4 million and, and if you get £4 million back and, and a bit more, then, then that's been good business, you know. Yeah. I mean, two players... £4 million uh, pound for Casey Palmer, well, how much is that? Well, I was just going to say, Casey Palmer and Jade Silver, you know, it, you know, I doubt if any of them are going to start a game for Bristol City if we read the street as it looks at the moment. And 
They're both on probably decent money when they were signed. The best we can hope for with them, if Nigel doesn't want them, is to cover off half the wages by farming, farming them out to other clubs if they have them. Yeah, uh, again, that, that's something that'd be interesting. I mean, I can't believe in the last couple of seasons, Bristol City have actually loaned players to clubs in the same division. And it doesn't matter who they are. If I, if I was Bristol City and a championship club were coming along to, to loan Jada Silva or Casey Palmer, I'd be saying no. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. And a couple of people said this week uh, it was a big mistake letting Corey Smith go and look at what Jamie Patterson's doing now. I mean, Corey's spent most of the last two years injured, but he's having a good season and Jamie is as well. Are you surprised that they, amongst players that have gone out the door for, well, nothing, out of contract and, yeah, both out of contract, are you surprised that they were allowed to go? Um, yes. I thought the Corey Smith one was awful, how it was handled. Fantastic servant, fantastic professional. Um, and I don't think it was a situation that was handled very well at the time. And then he went to Swansea and, and he, yeah, he's, he's picked up an injury. But he's an integral part. Yeah. Because he's basically okay. competitive. Um and then what was he replaced with? Brunt, who was good in the dressing room, which... Well, was, I mean, I said on the Corey pod this Smith. week, Brunt was uh, Holden's uh, equivalent of Simpson, really, wasn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think Dean Holden was responsible for that, if I'm honest, but never mind. Uh, Jim Hassan, again, shipped off to Derby on loan, come back, done well. But a player that was capable of scoring a goal from a set play, creating a goal... Yeah. And 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 scoring a goal in his own right. So, yeah, I think probably two players that would that would be in Bristol City's team definitely for both. Yeah. Um, and and likewise, if Fam had still been here, you know, he he would have uh, you know Fam on a bad day was probably a bit more mobile than uh, than than what we have. And that's no disrespect to Chris because he's good, but he's been overworked and you know the stage of his career. We probably would have got more out of him by using him less. I think, really. Yeah, I think it's sometimes it's unfair to to compare players. Um, and actually, sometimes Chris Martin surprised me. So when he does chase them long balls, he, when he gets his legs going, he's probably a little bit quicker than some people think. Um, but Fan was different. Love him or or loathe him, I loved him, me because of, of what he brought the team defensively as well. And he guaranteed 12 to 15 goals a season. Yeah. You know, you if you're going to let him go, then you've got to replace him with that. No, you have. And Nigel thought, in fairness, he thought he had that firepower there because he said, I don't need a striker. Yeah. And then, you know, that that was his that was his choice. Okay, Gary, just to put you on the spot as a final question, we're on 27 points halfway through the season. So crystal ball, yeah. I'm gonna say. No signings because of financial or no better than what we've got. I'm going to say Baker comes back, uh, although we know he might come back and be out again. I'm saying Joe Williams comes in and gets a run of 10 games before he gets injured again. All right? So I'm giving you a little bit there. Second half of the season, 27, higher or lower for a points total for the second half of the season? Gut feel. Uh, I'm always optimistic when it comes down 
uh, to Bristol City. So I would I would go higher. I wouldn't think it'd be a huge amount higher. But I think if they can get Nathan Baker fit, if they can get Williams fit, yeah, saying no signings, I think will be two or three out the door. So I think you'll have to bring one or two in to cover that. Yeah. So who Okay, so a bit higher. You think they might thing break is, they're going to be going to be. You think they might break sixty? Um. It's, listen, it's possible, isn't it? It's possible. <laughs> what I will say, it's, I'm, I'm more sure now that they're going to be more than safe in this division. There are clubs a lot less worse off than them. And I think they can, you know, the fact that they have won a few more home games gives me a little bit more confidence. They're always capable of getting something away from home. Um, so fingers crossed. Yeah, we can get there. Gary, thank you. Faces